Welcome back to Rising Giants, hosted by Max Soren and Dominic Kalusik, speaking with the leading entrepreneurs, investors, and creatives in Cambodia's vibrant startup scene to learn what it takes to be a rising giant. On this week's episode, we are thrilled to share some exciting news with you. In case you missed the first annual massively successful startup and innovation festival in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, don't worry, we've got you covered. We will be releasing all five panel discussions on our podcast channel, with this week's debate being the best ways to raise startup funding. In this episode, you'll hear from leading Cambodian entrepreneurs, including Dr. Biryak Che from Piltech, Jolita Su from Prestige Consulting, Dr. Buntong Ninit from Meat Doctor, and Kirira Sim from Banji. During the discussion, we have the opportunity to hear from startup founders and investors who have either raised capital in Cambodia or helped facilitate capital into startups. This is a fantastic dynamic between each of the speakers as we learn about the most important trades to raise startup funding. When is the best time to raise capital? and how much you should plan on raising. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the discussion. Fantastic. I was thinking about being the one to introduce everyone, but I feel like I would like to ask each of you to just introduce yourself quickly and just to let the audience know who, just a little brief background about yourself. Oh, is it battery? There you go. Thank you. Start with me? Yep, we can start with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm... uh, Dr. Tung, I'm CEO and founder of Meet Doctors, and I'm a certified medical doctor. I graduated from University of Patisasra in Cambodia, but I also got training from the U.S., Singapore, and India as well. So thank you for today. Thank you. My name is Dr. Vire also. I graduated from the other, the other pharmacy school in the U.S. So if you, know, if you need to know anything about drugs, the right person to talk to. I, I found... Piltech, which is a B2B pharma marketplace in Cambodia. And my expertise is actually a pharmacist. So I love talking to patients about medications, talking about their problems with medications when they take too much of it. I also talk to them too. So thank you. Good uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'm glad to have two doctors with me. Feeling a little under the weather right now, so I'm going to talk to them after this panel. <laughs> My name is Jolita Sue. You can call me Jolie. I'm a financial management and investment specialist at heart, and I am the managing director of Prestige Consulting, as you can see here next to the stage. And I'm also the owner of Boss Coffee and Eatery, which provides catering here today. And I'm also a co-founder of Project Inspire, which is a youth group with a social mission, and I'm educated in the U.S., yeah, good afternoon. I'm Kiri Rod. Yeah, two doctors and two finance. <laughs> so, uh, mainly my professions in finance and management accounting. I run a consulting firm before, financial consulting firm. Uh, own an audit firm. and But today is representing my tech, my fintech company, Banchi. Uh, just for disclosure, uh, for today, opinion is not about successful fundraising, okay? So it's about the, the, the journey going through the, the, the fundraising. And that, that's a really great point. Thank you. Thank you for that. And to kick things off, since this is a panel discussion about startup funding, and on the stage, we have a group of founders who have raised and helped facilitate capital. Each of you have built businesses which have product market fit, a growing customer base, and at some point you realized that you needed to scale your business. And to do so, you needed to raise capital. So while fundraising alone is a full-time job within itself, which also is a while you also have to contribute to operating a successful business. So I'd like to start off with how can startups effectively balance their focus between developing their business 
and fundraising. Biryak, we would like to start with you. Wow. I'm still not doing a very good job at that. <laughs> it's difficult when you're trying to fundraise and also trying to also get your company up and running too. Because on the one side, the investors want to see traction, right? So you still have to be there to do that work, the early stage, right? And then on the other side, you got to talk to a lot of investors too. So how do you find that balance? Maybe you should ask me, how do I not find the balance? I could tell a lot of that. But yeah, I think the balance is definitely look at your health first and then go from there because I think your health is probably the most important. So finding that balance between talking to the, a, lot of, a lot of investors, talk, dealing with the, the customers, also in this case, pharmacy owners and pharmacists, and also working with their team. Uh, there's definitely, at the early stage, you definitely have to do everything yourself with your team, right? Um, and also the reason why you do it everything yourself also at the early stage is because you want to find that, that pain point that, that you, you were trying to solve, right, sometimes. And by talking to people or the pharmacists and pharmacy in our case, they tell you things that originally you never thought of, right? So I think that's important. Uh, and then trying to, trying to balance that, talking to the, to the uh, investors, leverage whatever you learn, trying to, you know, sell it to the investors that this is the problem that you're trying to solve. And it's a multi-billion dollar one starting from Cambodia. And it is, it is pharmaceutical company, pharmaceutical, you know, as it, as you know, it, it's a pretty big amount. Uh, but yeah, going back to that, finding the balance is, is take good care of your health first. Um, walk your dogs more often than you should not. Like I do, I, I have my dogs and they're so confused sometimes because sometimes I walk them like three, four times a day. Uh, and they're like, why are you walking me again? I don't need to be walked. <laughs> but sometimes you need it for that peace of mind, right? And when you're walking your dogs, you, you, you forget about everything else too. And sport is important too for me. A few hours of basketball, it just shuts down everything that you think about, about work, about investors saying no to you or, or, or yes, maybe. So yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's all I could say for, for now. Maybe you could ask other. Yeah. Would anybody else like to, to touch on that as well? Okay, thank you so much, Bo. I think I, I learned a lot from him about uh, the market size, multi-billions business in healthcare industry. I think it's very effective to, to talk to investors. But for me, to keep the balance between business developments and fundraising, I think um, it's very important for me as a founder. But what I do is, is about my personality and behavior. So do I like networking? And do I like um, working in the office, looking at the laptops and do everything by myself. So we have to ask ourselves, well, as a business owners or um, startup founders, you have to love it no matter what, right? Is I also want to know, um, um, can you raise your hand if you are a startup founder here? Okay, great. So I believe that when we, when we want to talk to investors, we go to networking events. And at the networking events, there's a beer, wine. Right. So, do you like it? So, you you cannot um, say sometimes pick up the wine and beer and go, hey, cheers, and then we can start kick off um, communications, right? And and normally networking events on evening times or night times. So I think you have morning time, afternoon times, evening times. Morning time, afternoon times is your best time for working. The evening time is something's different. You can go hard. Networking and and just to um just to update just to tell the investor what's going on with the business. Yes, I think that's how I manage it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And something that both of you touched on was self focus on yourself, and especially as founders, 
personal development and making sure that you're balancing the work-life balance as well. And maybe I can, I can direct the next question to, to both of you. You know, as people that are in the financial services industry, investors, et cetera, what are some of the qualities that you look for in a startup or startup founder that is fundraising to determine if it's an opportunity for a potential investment? Okay, so I'm probably the only one here. I, I don't own a startup, but I used to work um, uh, managing a venture capital fund and uh, run a few accelerator programs and programs with the government and with private sector. Um, okay, I'm just going to go straight to the point. The key characteristics that investors look for. There are a few things, but I'm going to sum it up to six main points. The first one and the most important one, the most critical is team. We, we want to look for a good team, a team that is capable to execute the plan. The second is a good business model. What do I mean by a good business model? I mean a business model that is going to sustain itself and generate returns. The third one is profitability and scalability. We look at whether the business is going to grow bigger in the future or not, or is it in a declining market, or is it in, in a market that's too niche too small for it to grow bigger. The fourth one is we also balance, um, balance. We, we also put ourselves as an investor into the equation. We look at synergies, whether we can give you the values that you need and whether you can give us what we need. For example, if, if, I, want, if, if I am an investor and I am very skillful in telecom or in, for example, digital marketing, I would probably, I would probably be best positioned to give that to my startups. And I will probably want startups that are in the digital marketing space so that it can help expand my business. So that's synergy. Fifth one is we also look at risk and opportunity. Uh, for example, cryptocurrency, right? I'm talking about risk here. We are very interested in cryptocurrency, for example, but the current legal environment here does not give us too much kind of confidence or um, I would say too much comfort in investing because it's still in gray area. For example, I'm just giving example in risk. Opportunities, we look at whether your startups is in a good opportunity in the next five or 10 years, for example, right? Last one is valuation. Sometimes you have a good business, but if your price is too high, then we can't reach a deal. So there's a lot of negotiation with that. So I'm just going to be straight to the point and six characteristics. Thank you for, for all those characteristics as well. And um, I think the first one, which is building a team, the team that you build around you is very important. And especially at the early stage, it's making sure that you choose the right, uh, that the right employees or the right individuals that you want to work with over the long term. And to you, Kiriroth, uh, you know, not only is building a product very important, but also the team. And so what are some of the key characteristics as a founder you look for when building a strong and diverse team, especially, yeah. Yeah, that's a difficult one when the bank poaching <laughs> stuff from us. <laughs> but since the event is as a close, uh, building a, a strong team, it's quite challenging in, in startup. It depends on the focus of uh, or the business model of a startup. In, 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 in our case, for for the for the first platform that we build on the accounting side, it's it's not very difficult. But the next one that we build is more very technical, both not only the technology but on the business side on the very technical skill. 
uh, in supply chain finance is very rare. Not a lot of banks know what really is supply chain finance. And and also, if you want to get a very good analytic analyst, it's, it's very expensive because it's either they finish their ACCA or they've been educating abroad and all that. That's quite expensive to, to, to recruit. But in terms of characteristic, at the moment, that be is affordable for us as well is uh, people who can learn fast, so they don't need to really have the experience, learn fast, and be able to admit that they don't know subject matter, but they're willing to learn. And that's where we, we, we look for. Because that, for us as a business, it's not really the right word, but it's cheaper for us to, to hire and build. But it's just that to retain them is difficult. When, when they get experience two or three years, then the bank will triple or even more to, 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 to get them. But I think for me, the most important characteristic is to learn very fast. Because we have a company also moving fast, so we need somebody who's willing to learn all the time and learn fast. Thank you. And I'd like to open up to the rest of the panel as well, if, if you would like to touch on that as well. So the teams is very important. Young one is most important. Why? Because they're enthusiastic about new things. And we also can let them do what what is not really um, predictable. It's, it's unpredictable. So they can start doing that. And for me, as I from health industry, and then I learned medical things. And then when I jump to technology things, it's, it's a different feel. And then I need to inspire other young generations to look into the new business, the health industry. For example, we we have people here, we doctors, and we have a doctor also here as well. They, they do consultations um, physically, and then we inspire them, we motivate them to, to move their things online. And then the team that... that we need that the co-founder or the founders that we, we should work together is the one that excited about the new things, willing to try new things, ne- never go back. I mean, never com- complain about the new things, but just put the effort to go forward. And this is something very special about um, the, the startup when we are small. So we don't care about f- failures. We just want to do more. Yes. So yeah, I, I, I think when you mentioned about the six things, I wrote it down. I'm like, yes, I could learn something today. But I think definitely team is definitely on top there. So going to that first question, right? When I'm out there trying to do a lot of, you know, talking to the investors, looking for funding, your team is, that's when they, they need to kick in, right? Without you being there, they need to perform still, right? So I think that's a very important team. Yes, learn fast, stay longer. <laughs> Retention is important. I understand that part. But I think for, for us, is we look for a diverse team. So I don't want another pharmacist on my panel. I want someone maybe in finance, maybe someone that could think outside the box that I can't think of, right? So sometimes it's um, having a diverse team is, is definitely a big bonus. Um, young is, is definitely part of it, but also they have to learn fast and move fast also with us, right? But I think from, from our, our, our point of view also, like something that I've learned as a communicator, you got to be very clear, your team, right? Make sure that they understand. Don't change too fast. They can't catch up to you. Remember that they, you know, you're always thinking about this 24-7, right? And they are just, you know, they're on day one or day two. Try to slow it down on that orientation day, right? So I, I think I, I, you know, I've done where, you know, I, at the end of the day, they're like, he's like, 
oh man, this is going to be a very difficult road. So maybe take it slow. Uh, make sure they see your vision also. I think people likes to be on that, 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 that spaceship with you, right? That you're going to be there for the long run. But I think if I were to go back and look at it, having a diverse team is definitely a big bonus for me. Um, something, someone in finance is also good. Yeah, also very good. To be able to help me with the valuation, to help me with the P&L, tell, tells me that, hey, look, we're not doing too great this month or we're doing super good this month. I think that's something that we look for. Of course, you as the founder, the CEO has to be able to understand numbers. But I think having that team to tell you is definitely pretty good also. If, if I would like to add from investors' point of view, and we've, we're hearing from startups, as an investor, we think team is critical. And I re keep repeating that because you can have the world's greatest business model. But if you don't have the right team to execute, it means nothing. And first impression is, is really important for investors. We judge you not based on our meeting But we judge you since when you first walk into a room. We judge you since when you first answer our call, since when we first talk. It's similar to when, you know, you judge whether that someone is your potential partner, you know, kind of. <laughs> Just want to joke. I probably did that to my husband. <laughs> He passed. <laughs> okay. Um, so characteristics-wise, we look for... A team, a startup team that is is fully committed in terms of time and effort into building their startups. We're quite. I mean, we prefer team that that spends 100% of their time at least, or most of their time. When we work with startups that are like um, working only part time for the startups, we have a question mark on our head and it's like, what's going on here? And so time and effort into building a startup is important. Second is we look for a startup team that has the depth of knowledge and skills and experience in what they do. For example, if, if you're in the finance sector, accounting sector, you probably have to be like him where, you know, we have certified accounting, certified accountant. If you're in a health, you probably have to not have to be a doctor, but you have to know about pharmacy and medicine, right? So there's a certain level that you need to pass to be eligible in your startup. The third one is, and I repeat that from our previous talk, is coachability. We want startup teams that, that we can talk to that is reliable, that's, that's trustworthy. So that's really important for us because we don't want to work with a startup founder that doesn't listen to us, that's really negative on like feedback, criticism, So we want someone who has a willingness to grow. That's it. Sorry, sorry. I have a debate here because um, Dr. Vyak mentions that we have to take it slow, but I think, no, we have to, to make it so fast and let them adapt for the teams. Why? For example, I, I have a, a case study with my CTO. Like um, we design UX UI designs and then decode it. And then after that, I tell, oh, hey, this is something wrong. We need to change it tomorrow or next week and then oh my guys change again so what happened to them it's make a change right and then the next project the next phase the same things oh we change again okay yes of course we need to change again and all we have to change because we need to learn from um, user behavior experience and then we change fast and then let them adapt and now i think they adapt to to what we we, we do it is a new culture is okay change for a better one yeah yeah <laughs> I would say 
filter a lot of those changes, or else my CTO would have killed me by now. It's true. I mean, when you go in and you talk to your customers, in our case, pharmacists, right? They tell you that killer feature that you think that we thought about in the boardroom or in the meeting room, right? It was not so killer. It's so difficult for them now. It's like it's hard for them to actually use it. So then we go back and we're like we have to change this. How do we make it easier from the use? So I think I think uh, scenario basis, right? Maybe uh, yeah. Some part you got to go fast. Some part you go slow. We we love a little debate. So thank you guys for uh, for for bringing that to the stage. And uh, so to transition a little bit, now that you've built a great team, your business continue to grow, and you're ready for the next stage of scaling your business. Fundraising is a topic that is important for a founder. And oftentimes, deciding how much, when's the best time, and communicating the use of funds to an investor, it can be met with a certain degree of uncertainty. Um, so to help try and demystify, demystify this, you know, based on your experiences, when would you say is the optimal time to begin the search for fundraising? Yeah. This is a very interesting point in fundraising. What is an optimal runtime? That's often balancing between dilution of your equity and also the money that you want to raise. Some people said 18 months, but sometimes we, like for me, last time when I raised is only to cover 12 months. So how confident that we are we can able to raise again after 12 months? Because fundraising often take uh, negotiation, go back and forth three months, if you're lucky enough to get a term seat. And then for the investment committee to approve and all that, by the time the money arrives in the bank account, six months already. But uh, that time is important also depend on the stage of your fundraising. Is it a seed round or a pre-seed round or a series A or even in, in the later stage? Because seed round is easy. If you raise from, the, for, from a angel investor, my angel investor, one, I have a coffee... In, in Hong Kong, and then he, he put the money in. Another one, I have a coffee in Phnom Penh, just a quick conversation, we get the money. But institutional investor is different. It takes time, and sometimes they demand a financial model, valuation, and all of that. But the important part, I think it's, it's about dilution. And that's is important. Like when, when I raise a shorter period, short, smaller amount, is to protect other investors to have the smaller share. But that really hurt us when we, we need more, more runway that allow us to, to raise a bigger round. So it's trying to get the right balance. It's, we cannot say that, like standard formula that every startup can, can adopt. You need to understand your current stage of the revenue and of your, your cash flow and also the stage of your fundraising. That's, that's really important for every startup founder when you the fundraising and when i say this it doesn't mean that i achieved the right the optimal time i've been suffering from this also so uh the next round that i'm raising is going to be three years i will not raise 18 months or one uh, one year it's three years that allow me to sleep peacefully at night that i don't need to worry about another fundraising so that that that's my my next approach for the fundraising three years is the minimum I'd like to open up to the rest of the panel as well to Aisha. Okay. Yep. Ooh, investors, hard question. Um, okay, I'm going to tackle this question into three sections. The first one is when to fundraise. The second one is the amount, how much. 
And the third one is the dilution question. Or yeah, the first one is when to fundraise. It's you know the answer has a lot of moving parts. It depends on whether there's funds available in the market for you to use. It depends on how much you really need it. It depends on what's your burn rate. It depends on your future strategy. So I really can't have the best answer for this question. But as a rule of thumb, which Bonkiri has mentioned, um, you are expected to raise to extend your runway at least 18 to 24 months. But 18 to 24 months, it's like one year, one year and a half to two years. It could be safe if you have a lot more confidence that you will probably get more funds after that. But in some markets, it's probably hard for you to get funds because I wouldn't want to say that there's lack of fun in Cambodia. I would probably say it as a mismatched fun in terms of like the, what they want and what the startup needs. Um, so that's, that's really a question that I can't answer. But in terms of the amount, right? Oh, actually, another point. When to fundraise. In order for you to fundraise, you have to ask yourself a, a few questions. Number one, whether you have a strong ground already because you want to be able to commit yourself to a rigorous demand of process. What do I mean by process? The startups that have raised funding, they have endured that process already. You have to have enough data to demonstrate that your company is in a good trajectory. For example, you have to have consumer base. You have to have some sort of revenue to show that, hey, there's trend, there's positive trend. Second is you have to have some legal and financial data to demonstrate that your company is protected by law to demonstrate that you, your finances are properly managed. It can mean your financial records. It can mean how you spend your money. And it's really important. And the last one is that you have to ask yourself this question, whether you are clear on how you're going to use the money, how much you need, and how you're going to use the money. You have to have a clear idea of that. The second tackle, tackling of this question is the amount. Again, can't say because it really depends on what you need. But I want to take note of this one thing. When the money is invested into your bank account, you can't be too crazy. You can't be like, I'm just going to try this one. You know, because I have money anyway, I'm just going to try on this second thing. No, you still have to be diligent in your spending no matter what. Um, and this is where most startups fail. Because when the money is in their bank account, they tend to want to try. They tend to want to initiate new ideas, which I don't discourage. You can be creative, but you have to be diligent because who knows when the economy is, economy is down, you need to spend more. When, for example, unexpectedly your staff turnover is high, you probably need to hire someone who's a lot more expensive, blah, blah, blah. The last one is dilution. How do you mitigate that? Uh, for dilution, um, uh, I would highly recommend as an investor, I would highly, highly recommend that you fundraise when your company grows to a certain size. You don't want to fundraise too early. Imagine when an investor puts in a hundred grand into a half million dollar company compared to when they put a hundred grand into a two million dollar company. What's the difference here? The first scenario, how, mu how many percentage should they get? 20, right? Yeah, 20. The second one, just 5%. So I want to encourage 
everyone to bootstrap and allow your company to grow a little bit bigger before you, you know, have a good say because you want to grow your customers. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard to, to really keep your company bootstrapping and, you know, using all your resources, but you have to go through this. Investors won't invest in an idea. They invest in something that's kind of proven. So that's dilution. And also something that you can do to protect yourself. I'm, I want to say this is you can negotiate anti-dilution rights with your potential investors when you discuss your term sheets and you know your conditions. So that's something that's probably partly under your control too. So that's, yeah. Yes, thank you. And would, would uh, either of you like to... Okay, thank you so much. I think um, we have a very good idea from two speakers already. But um, for me, I actually am a secure preset only. But um, I think um, I've done a lot of talking to investors, and I think um, it's a good for sharing to all of you. So, when should we start raising funds? I think we should start from day one. But you have to have your financial purchase ready. Why? Because it's very important to see your business in the futures. And then if you want to talk to, so they, I mean, the day you start your business, you can start talking to investors. Okay. You start doing this one, two, three, four, five, and then alongside, because it's not one day deal way. You just can approach them and then you can learn from them. So you can also developing the projections based alongside as well. Another thing is about your delivery boards. Are you confident enough to deliver all your promise? If you cannot deliver your promise, so why, why do you have to raise funds? It doesn't make sense. And you, you can ruin your credit. And then you, you feel like, um, because uh, for me, when we, when we raise funds and then we cannot deliver some things, it's so, I mean, I have a bad feeling for that. So I need to make sure that I can deliver all the, the promise I have. And then talking about uh, runway, so runway, I actually, I would say not three years, but 18 months. And then we have to like, um, we, I think we, sh we should not sleep. I think we should actively do our work. Like, okay, I have a promise in 18 months. We have to do some things faster, better than done. For the first year and 12 months, you can learn from your KPI. And then the last six months, you should use that times to talk to another investor to raise another funds, another round. It's very good options. I think it's it's good option. And how much? In Cambodia context, I think investor always ask for 50%. Always ask for 50% and Cambodian contacts. But I think it's not a good choice for startups because it's young. And if you're confident enough, your business potentials, and you have the skill sets that can grow your business, the maximum share for the preset or seeds round should be 10%. It's the ideal share you should offer. I think, um, and it also depends on, it also depends on your partner as well. Yeah, I think um, we don't have much time. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think it took, so I'll, I won't tell you when you should start fundraising, but I'll tell you how long it took me to fundraise. Maybe that's better. It took me over a year. So maybe you could think about that. Well, that was during COVID, right? So maybe now we could see face-to-face -face might be faster. Um, and then I think I like the idea of, you know, once you got the money in the bank, trying to do everything, say no. Say no, right? Focus as much as you can. Uh, the one thing that I found out the hard way was that I wasn't focused enough, right? So, you know, once the money in the bank, you're not so focused, and then you start to lose 
a little bit of um, goals and, and all these things that you wanted to do. And then you ended up not sleeping, right? And then that's when you, everything's just going south. So I think having that money in the bank and then learn to focus on that core business that you promised, right, to deliver that you want to solve is very important. Um, and also, I think how much to raise is really depends on your go-to-market strategies at this point. Like, for example, if we're in this stage, and depending on what we're trying to do, right, expansion to the provinces, for example. So, yeah, then it's how much do you need, right? So I think really, really trying to understand what you're using that, what are you going to use that money for and, and see how much you want from there. So I think that's probably people could share more than that. It's good that you take one year, three years to raise my first round. So, And there's no magical formula on the dilution or the percentage you raise. My first round, I dilute 50%. And as a founder, I own less than 15%. So there is no magic formula at all. It depends on your situation. You raise to survive, raise to grow. So it, 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 you know, at certain point, convertible note might be better than an equity. And, and it's really the situation that you, you are making that decision. Either that anti-dilution, yes, we can work on, on that direction. I also implement myself, but at certain say you need money, anti-dilution is out of the out of the negotiation so be prepared startup is a long and painful journey i always say that and and founder you often suffer you know it's been seven years running this startup and and often point i want to go back to work because i can earn way, way better with with my qualification but again it's 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 fundraising it can be very stressful and and there is no formula or number, you know, like some people said, you do dilute first around 20% and then series A at this percent and all that. If you get that, oh, that's the best situation for you already. So, but in reality, I think you need to be comfortable by yourself so that you, you, you have that, you still have the passion to run that, that, that company forward. So it's just my, 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 experience so far running this startup? I'm aware of the time. <laughs> I totally understand. But um, I, heard, uh, I heard you said that most investors here want 50%. That's probably, I just want to clear it a little bit. From a venture capital point of view, we don't want anything, anything more than that. And yeah, angel investors want a lot of shares because they're high net worth individual, they're looking for profit. But from an institutional venture capital point of view, we don't want to do that because we want the founders to have the main share and drive the business. So just want to clear the air a little bit, probably, and angel investors, yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, I'm going to ask one rapid fire question to each of you before we open it up to the audience for, for a few questions. And the, the one question that I would like to ask is, what would be one thing you can redo if you could do it all over again? Well, I think um, I have nothing to redo. But um, because it feels like um, the way I do is is not perfect, but it's okay. Because I learn, um, because I'm in math school, and then I jump into startup accelerator incubators. And then I learn from from all of those things, and then it take me. I mean, 
almost four or five years just to adapt to a new world because in medical school, you only see patients, sad patients, complaining patients. And what you need to do is to learn from the symptoms and treat the disease. But business is really different. For me, I need to learn. I need to find teams, even lose my co-founders before. But I think it's okay. It's a learning experience for me. So five years, for me, it's like experience. It's uh, it's MBA for me. I didn't take a course for four years for MBA, but I practiced by myself. So I, um, for me, I have nothing to redo. And I also, it's important part to, to be confident in what you're doing because my business is actually new things. The thing is, you want to change or not, and you, you have the vision for that or not. I'm a medical doctor, and I see this as a very potential one to support our community at the province, at the rural area. And because of that issues, it keeps me alive. No ma- Even I don't have money, it's also alive to run this business. Yeah. So the one thing I would redo, there is a lot actually, but I'll just mention one. Uh, take good care of your health. You know, it's, it's a bit of uh, ironic that you're a doctor and you tell people all the time how to take good care of their health. You should do this exercise. You should take, take this medication when you're not well. You should do more meditation to relieve your stress, right? I think the one thing that I should do more if I were to go back, I would tell my own self, like, you know, take good care of better your health. I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been nearly three years, I think, since I've been doing this. And I definitely age a lot. I look better right before. I mean, yeah, if you look fantastic. at the picture, you look, you look great. So no, 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 no. You should, you should see. I don't know, three, four years before. Just kidding. No, I think take good care of yourself is definitely one advice I would give to you guys. Because if you don't have that the mental, mental, if it's not right, it's difficult to get up the next day. Very difficult to wake up the next day. Of course, the passion, the drive for. Making change to the healthcare industry helps a lot. Actually, it helps a lot. It helps drive that last two, three years. But I think I want to last for another 10 years. I got to start walking my dogs more. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I could say. If you guys would like to connect. I think this question fits uh, the other panelists better. Redo. Uh, Not giving away free software. Free is not a business model. So if I, like, I got a Facebook notification yesterday. It was seven years ago that I, I was selected for Startup Bootcamp FinTech in Singapore, one of the top 10 FinTech in Asia in that year. If I redo again, not giving away free software. <laughs> so it suffered. I burned close to $600,000 just to prove that free is a business model, but it, it, it's all wrong. <laughs> well, on that note, I'd like to open up the floor for questions. Maybe... Uh... Does anybody have questions for the panelists? I think we're going to take maybe two here or two. Yeah. So my question would be, how important is having a strong online presence on social media strategy when trying to raise funds for a startup in Cambodia? Yep. Yeah, uh, we, can, we can go one at a time and, and answer as well. Like. So your question was, how important is it to have an online presence on social media when fundraising, right? Is that, is that the question? Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Let's, I think you would be the best. Yeah. But I think my, my LinkedIn, I could see that they search me a lot, right? 
So I think they, they look at you. Uh, so I try not to have a lot of negative things on there. Actually, zero negative thing on there, if possible. No, they, they, they do search you, but I think it, how important is it for social media? I honestly don't think that social media affected me that much because I'm not too involved with my personal life on there. Mostly it's work-related. So I think uh, maybe you could tell us, like, you know, did you search me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. For me, probably, on my case, not other founder. Most of the investors said, I give a lot of speech. You know, like, Vice President of Young Entrepreneur Association, giving speech on fintech and all of that. And investors, you, you, you're going to, like, you're wasting a lot of time on, on the public space. So, so social... Very good online present, but affecting the business. So it, I'm not sure whether it's important or not because the investor look at it not on the positive side. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would say it's, it's pretty important because, believe it or not, we would probably want to talk to you more if we find you in the news saying, you know, you've gathered, for example, 300, 4,000 customers, oh, this company is doing well. So usually we find potential startups in those kind of things, in the press, in online presence. And of course, I mean, going on speeches, it's okay, but probably we want to see more of attraction. So if you have a startup and your startup shows up in media and say, this company is gaining a lot of traction, this company is dealing with a lot of customers, this is in the largest trend, then we would be interested in talking to you. So I think it's pretty important. But don't let the online presence fool you. You should also go out and network physically, you know, get to know people around because online presence is one thing, but an extensive network is important too. Yeah, and that's just a shameful plug to come on Rising Giants as well. So just going to throw that in there as another. Yeah, you're doing good too. <laughs> Thank you. I think this is very important. But from my point of view, we on online presence is very important because I, I just started TikTok, I'm Dr. Tongs, and then I do a lot of content about health, and then I generate a lot of tractions from there. I think we should learn from online workers. I mean, for example, it's like Kusis and or Natri, NNP, something like that. I think they do a very good job. And for, we, for us, like a small startup, we should use your own camera and start filming yourself. I think that's how we, we don't, we, we use organic growth. We don't pay advertisers because it's very expensive right now and you have to learn how to advertise yourself by yourself and then you don't need to pay any money. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll one more question. We have time for one more question, please. Okay. Uh, hello. So uh, thank you. And my question is, how do you approach a startup and how that become more resistance when they got the money? So for example, like, you know, when, when you get invested in them and then things change and then they become more resistant, for example, in sharing control, in like introducing more diverse talents into the group. How do you identify the red zone and how would you approach this resistance to coachability? Thank you. Okay. Oh, that's a good question. And it's a part of our experience too, dealing with some startups. <laughs> not, not talking about you, not know. <laughs> so that's why we do trenches. Uh, so when we when we decide to invest in a company, we would do, for example, two tranches, three tranches. For example, if we agree to give you 200 grants, we would give it in multiple times. So we'd say, okay, we give half, and then if you reach certain KPI, we give you another half. That's how that's what we do to protect ourselves. 
And if we find that there's good enough reason that we can't work together or there's... But resistance doesn't mean it's bad. Sometimes founders' resistance is the best interest for the company, and we totally understand that. But if, there, if there's come a point that we don't see any benefits in working together and the company's not growing, we can withhold that based on the contract. So that's what we do to protect ourselves, and that and there's a red zone. I, I hope that answered your question. Yeah. Once you invested in us, you married to us for life. So deal with us, right? But I think, I think before you do that, I think you would probably already know. Like you interview your husband and you, you do your first impression, right? Where is he? He's somewhere back there, I think. I think first impression is very important, like you said. But I think by the time they invest in you, most of the time, they sort of know that you're the right person for them, right? But there's a small percentage where the founders are very good at having that mask, I guess, I guess that's, that's your fault for not being able to see that. <laughs> no, I think that's, yeah, I, I, I would, I, I would, that's, you know, for us, when I, when I talk to my, our investors, right, I, I know that we're going to get married for life. So I interview them like crazy too. Like, what, what do you do for fun, right? They ask me, what do I do for fun? What about you? What do, what do you do for fun, right? Or how can you help us grow the company? Like, so I think before we decided that we're going to, you know, shake hands, uh, I know everything about you already, and I know that you're hopefully the right person for us also, right? So I think that's, that's all I could share. Um, I, I totally agree. You know, you're married to your investee for life, but only if you can exit or, in other terms, divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, and that's the issue, that's the worst case scenario for investors. We, you know, we still have shares in your company, but can't do anything. So partly, you know, involved in your company. And that's the issue of inactive shareholder, what I usually call, or shareholders that only have shares in the company, but they don't contribute anything else. So that's, yeah, that's the worst case scenario. And on that note, thank you so much for each of our panel guests. We really fantastic conversation and just want to give it up for each of them. Yeah, thank you all very much.